Welcome to Across the Line. Today, we've got a legend of Southeast Asian football with us. He is the leading, what is he, the record holder of appearances for the national team of Singapore. He's still playing at 42 years of age. He's been playing pro football for over two decades now. He's got a pretty uh, decorated trophy cabinet uh, to, to boot as well. We've got Daniel Bennett on the program. And it was quite a chat, Chris. Yeah, we knew each other from our battles on the on the football field, but never really had an opportunity to speak to one another. So um, when we finally realised we had an opportunity to speak about some of those um, accounts on the on the pitch, it was it was really nice to sit down with him for for an hour and a bit and and, and talk about some of those really big games. I mean, they're real fond memories for me. Um, I just wasn't sure if there would be fond memories for him, and, and lo and behold, he, he wasn't shy with uh, with some of his stories and the accounts of, of those games. So it was it was really good to catch up with him. Um, he was be talking a lot about some of the similar problems that we experience here in the Philippines are, are actually problems that he's experiencing over there in Singapore. So uh, it was nice to hear that we're not the only ones with uh, difficulties at this moment in time. But no, very very in-depth detailed uh, conversation with Daniel and um, although he represented the other side I'm sure a lot of the Philippine football fans will remember him and, and be really interested in hearing his story and extremely open and candid with all of his answers as well so I'm sure you guys would enjoy it um, if you do uh, which we hope you do um, make sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube Spotify Apple Podcasts look for us on social media so you don't miss a thing um, Facebook Instagram and on Twitter right this is it, Daniel Bennett on Football Friday. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Across the Line. Today is a treat for everyone who tunes into this podcast as we have an absolute legend of Southeast Asian football and he is royalty in Singaporean football uh, and still playing, folks. It's been two decades of pro football and he's still kicking and playing a prominent role for Tampines Rovers. Uh, we've got the great Daniel Bennett on the program. How's it going, Daniel? Yeah, good. Thanks for having me here. It's nice uh, to be involved with the Philippines. There's been a long-running battle with them on the field. So it's nice to talk to you and, and Chris here today. Yeah. How's it going, Chris? Uh, a familiar face in Daniel, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Really nice to to connect with him. It's been a... It's been a long time since we uh, had our battles on the field, but I'm really excited to uh, unpack some of his his, his backstory, really, because I think we, we we got personal on the field a few times, but we never got to know the the full background backstory of Daniel's career, which which is which is pretty interesting. So, uh, yeah, really intrigued to to unpack some of his backstory, and, and hope the listeners will enjoy it. I've been doing a little bit of research on uh, on your you and your career, and you know naturalization is actually something that has come up as a as a a big topic in the Philippines as of late. Um, I was looking back, and it, it turns out you were in Singapore since you were very very young, like two years of age. You were already um, moved over from uh, from England, I believe. Is that right? My parents came over in 1980 to Singapore. My father was a teacher. Uh, we, we were here, well, they were here for sort of 30 years. So it became my home. I went back to university in England, uh, but I was actually playing uh, in Singapore in the semi sort of professional league before I left. So I had contacts before I left to come back. Uh, I did go back in the end to England to play. I played in the second division, first division for a bit. And then, um, and then 
I got the call to come back and represent the country and naturalize uh, as a Singaporean. And so it was a, a chance I couldn't sort of turn down with the traveling around Asia, you know, to play in stadiums in Japan and Korea and, you know, perform on an international stage rather than sort of in the lower leagues in England. So that's basically my story. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it's sort of rolled on. Uh, and I'm still <laughs> 42. <laughs> It's the longevity is something that that really stands out right off the bat. It's you know uh, two decades of of pro football that you have under your belt. You know, uh, footballers in general are lucky to see maybe ten. You know, what, what's keeping you going, and and what's the what's what's driving you at this point in your career? Well, somebody told me a while ago. He said your post career is is long, so just play as long as you can. So I've always had that sort of stuck in my head, but. I mean, if you take care of yourself, I think it's showing that the players can play longer now. Uh, players are generally playing to a higher average age. So um, I think if you look after yourself from from the beginning, not just uh, when you get older, then you've got a good chance to go on. Of course, being a defender is probably easier to continue. Um, I'm physically a, a little bit bigger than the majority of the boys in Singapore, which helps. And so... Uh, probably due to circumstances, but also that I've looked after myself, I think I've, I've been able to, to go on a bit longer than others, yeah. Uh, I saw some 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 remarks from Gavin Lee, the head coach, talking about the prominent role that you're playing. You're still the captain, is that right, of, of, uh, of the Rovers? I was the captain at my previous club, but since I've come here, I think it's, I think it's good in a way that others get a chance, so... Since I've been at Tampini's, I've not been the captain. No, there's there's a, Yassir Hanapi is the captain now. Mm. It was Shadan Sulaiman. Yes. Uh, one thing that's been around a lot lately is the the last dance. I don't know if you're following along with the Michael Jordan. I finished it last night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So one of the things that that stands out there in one of the episodes, like I believe it was like the sixth one, was talking about like you know as much as you love the game to a certain point, you will get burnt out to a degree. You know. Um, and um, it's about trying to reinvigorate yourself and find ways to motivate yourself. Um, what is it for you? Is it is it still winning trophies? Is it you know just extending your career for as long as possible, or is there any, something else that that drives you on? Uh, yeah, I just I just love to play, really. But but it's a lifestyle as well. I mean, I can't imagine sitting in an office from nine to five every day. So that spurs you on as well. I mean, having to to go into work and do normal jobs. I mean, what better than running around a football field and playing on the weekends and, and uh, having that, that, that competition, walking out in front of fans every, every week. I mean, I, 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 know, I know it's not going to last forever, so I'm enjoying as much as I can now. We're still playing in the AFC Cup, which is probably the highlights at the moment. Uh, I like to travel, play the teams in, in Asia, I think, we played series a few times in the past couple of seasons. It's, it's always good to come to Philippines, but uh, no, I just I just enjoy playing. So it's, it's no no secret really. I mean, it's different for different people. So Michael Jordan, he's got his own opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, is that making you? Feel like wanting to come back again, or or not? I, I I always want to come back, mate. I always want to come back, but um, no, I, I think it's incredible. I I, I looked at the statistics um, earlier, and I think you're in the top 
Is it the top 50 most capped players of all time? I, I saw you're wedged between Javier Zanetti and Robbie Keane on about 146 <laughs> yeah. something. Is that is that right? I think so. Yeah, I've had a look at that list. I'm about 30 odd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's I'm, pretty. I, mean, I think it, some Americans who have played a lot longer, about 178. There's also yeah. a Spanish player, I forget his name now. Um, yeah, but yeah, I'm about 40 or 50 off the top, which is quite a lot. But I only started my national football, inter, international career at the age of 25, about. So, oh, really? I, yeah, because I, I didn't take the passport until the end of uh, 2000. And, or, it was 2002 when I took the passport. I think it was oh, really? 2002. So I played in that Suzuki Cup, end of 2002. Right. So okay. Just, I was just turning 25. Yeah, because I, I, I want to I want to go back to that, Daniel, because you sort of glazed over, skimmed over that 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 period, and I, I, I'm quite intrigued to f- to sort of find out a little bit more about how this all came about. Because yeah, like like um, Jing said at the top of the program, um, I, I knew that your father was a teacher, and, and your family moved over to Singapore when you were quite young. But when you were coming through the system in Singapore, were you playing in like the youth Singapore national teams? Were you part of any of the, because I, I don't know if Lions 12 was around at that time, but were you involved in a youth setup at all? Or was it just a case of playing youth football in, in Singapore? I was just with the international schools, really, until, until okay. about 15, 14, 15, and, then I, and then I was sort of uh, spotted by one of the local coaches and he took me down to train with the the. The, like the, the national youth team. Right. I had to play with them because I wasn't a uh, Singaporean. So in the end, it got to the point where there was not that much point in me training and, and they took me to a club. And at the age of about 16, I joined a uh, local club and I was able to play in the youth youth age groups there. Right. And then when I when I was just about to turn 17, they put me in the first team because they were, they were allowed three foreigners at that time. And they weren't really bringing in top foreigners from abroad. So right. I, played sort of, I played for a year in the top league in Singapore when I was about seven, just turning 17. Okay. Uh, but then, of course, when it went fully pro, then they're bringing in better players. And so right. the, the final year of uh, when I was at school in Singapore, I didn't play in that. I played in the second division here. And then, and then I went to university in England. for yeah. So, so, so I, I saw you went to Loughborough. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that must have been for those who don't know. Loughborough is a renowned and esteemed sports institution, isn't it? Uh, I mean, really um, revered in, in in sort of academic circles as one of the top sporting institutes that, that certainly in the UK. So, what what was what was the sort of rationale behind wanting to go to to Loughborough? I just. I think it's just that everybody at my school was going to university. So really? uh, they said, what do you want to study? And I was just always in sports. So it was sports for me. Loughborough was the top university for sports. So I applied. I got in. And uh, like you say, the, it, it is the top for sport. But in terms of football, I mean, we, we, didn't, we didn't have players who were going on to play in top leagues because uh, unlike rugby and other sports, athletics, where they did have those top top sportsmen who went mm-hmm. on to represent England, all the footballers by that time, you know, they're either playing in the, yeah. the top league or or they're with the the youth sides in those teams as well. So it's sort of for, for the dropouts. We had a lot of good dropouts from from top clubs. Yeah, 
uh, yeah, like you say, we, we did really well in the, in the sports side of things there. And it's a good university. Um, but by the time I came to the end of the university, I didn't really have an idea what I wanted to do. Uh, probably the same for many people. I wondered if I wanted to teach. And in the end, there was an offer to come back and play in a team here. And I thought, well, for six months, that might be a good idea before I go and get a job. Right. <laughs> I know that I'd be sitting here 20 years later still in the profession. So I'm still waiting to get the other job. <laughs> so so you came back to Singapore and I'm guessing this is when the, the S League is now fully fledged now. Is it already operational yeah, as yeah, the S League yeah. we know it now? Six, yeah. Yeah. And were you did you come back and then was this at this point? You were still a foreign player. You were still considered a foreign. For a team as a foreigner. Uh, but within a couple of years, they started to talk about the foreign talent scheme. And right. was raised. But, but by then, I'd done quite well and I'd gone back to England to play for, for Wrexham. In the- yeah, how did that come about? How did that come about? I, I don't know this, this part of the story. Because I remember, I remember hearing about you being in Singapore then going to the UK. But I don't know how, how that all sort of transpired. I suppose I... I'd never had the opportunity to see if I could make it there. So I'd sent out some videos just on my own. I didn't have an agent. And oh, really? I ended up at Swindon Town. I ended up at a few clubs, uh, Russian and Diamonds, who were, who were a prominent team coming up the league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what sort of year? What, what time is this? What, what period is this? 2001. Uh, it was just the start of 2001, I think, 2002. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I think, yeah, it was around then. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a long time ago, yeah. One or 2002, I can't, I can't quite remember. But um, I, I ended up at Swindon, but Roy Evans was the manager. He couldn't sign me. He didn't have any money. So he recommended that I went to Wrexham. He had a mate okay. at Wrexham, Dennis Smith. And within a week, I'd signed there, and I was, uh, I was playing. So we played the remainder of the season in the first division. That was from December onwards. And... Uh, I wasn't on a full-time contract. I was on sort of a, I forgot what they called it. Like a rolling contract, like yeah, I'll like a month, month to month. They'd raise money through uh, beer funds, the fans, and I was paid through the beer funds. Um, <laughs> and they got me in through that. And I, I played for the remainder of that season, but we got relegated. We were relegated that year. Right. So then I had the decision. I actually had a few championship clubs come in for me at the end of that year. And I had the option to go on trial with them, like pre-season tour. Yeah. Um, but Wrexham were on to me and they, they said that, you know, I had the choice of either going there and maybe, maybe it falling through or, or going back to Wrexham. And with, with not knowing England much and with my new mates sort of at Wrexham, I, I, I thought, well, take the easy option and get back in there for another year. So that's what I did. And I loved the year. We got promoted again the following year back to the first division but then during that year I'd had the call from Singapore to take the passport and to sign the documents so at the end of the year uh, I made the the decision that um, I'll come back I mean I did miss Singapore so at a a young age and being abroad sort of in my home country but being abroad at the same time um, I thought maybe it was best I came back and and start getting involved with a national team more obviously you got the you got players like Etherington now who can't get back for the Suzuki Cup, and that was on my mind that I wouldn't be able to travel as much with the national team if I was playing abroad. So I decided in the end that that it was probably best at that time to come back. Did you ever regret that 
decision? Do you ever have that sort of wondering what if I'd stayed out yeah, in the UK and, and really tried to push myself? But Chris, you can't have it both ways, can you? I mean, no. I mean, I, I think I could have played in the championship. Uh, whether that's the case, I don't know. But um, I, I looked, I looked at that time and I, I looked at statistics and I noticed that majority of players were trickling down the league. There weren't that. The more and more foreigners coming in more English players were trickling down the league and fewer were sort of going up the other way. So I thought it might be a couple of years before I got that chance. I didn't know. Uh, possibly I, I would have had another chance to go on a trial or something somewhere. But um, yeah, I do regret that. At the end, I do regret that. But uh, you can't have it both ways. So I would have regretted perhaps not coming back here. So yeah, it would have been interesting to see what, where I have ended up. Uh, I, I know I'd have definitely finished by now because of the physicality <laughs> of the game. Yeah, yeah. The weather there. There's no way I'd be playing now, I don't think. So um, I'm happy with the way things went. Okay, well, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, for those of you who don't really know the landscape of that period, I was at Brighton at that same time. And I can just remember, like, for example, I was sort of knocking on the door of the first team, 18-19. And we were getting guys like Steve Sidwell coming on loan from Arsenal like playing in my position, yeah. I'm thinking, but yeah, well, he's good. Like he's good. Yeah. Like, you know, he's, he's you know, maybe a year or maybe my age or a year older than me. I'm thinking like, okay, wow. If, and if he's coming down to this level, then exactly what you said, what happens is it's that knock on effect because of course, Steve Sidwell is not going to get in ahead of Patrick Vieira or, you know, whoever, Emmanuel Petit, whoever mm -hmm. is in his position at that time. And then you have that knock on effect where, people then have to find their place. And then invariably he ends up going with Steve Koppel to Reading and then forging a career at, in the Premier League. But it, it was quite a tumultuous period at, at that time in, in the UK. There's a lot of money got pulled out from, I don't know if you remember this, the ITV digital thing, a lot of money got pulled out of um, football in and around that period. And it just became quite a difficult landscape to, to navigate. So, you know, maybe in retrospect, you might look at it and think, oh, I wonder if I'd stayed out there and I perhaps could have had a, a glorious career in the UK. But ultimately, like you said, it's you can't have it both ways. And, and it seems to have worked out pretty well for you with, you know, 145 caps and still playing, um, you know, into 2020. So it couldn't have been that bad of a decision. Um, what, what I'm quite interested in is, so when you came back to Singapore, so this is now... 2000 and what two three and you get your singapore passport i came back straight away I, I got my yeah 2002 and i okay. came back during the season to play that suzuki cup which was a bit of a disaster for us and then i moved back in 2003 midway in june i think uh, at the season end of in england and then i uh i've been here since really yeah so yeah I had the passport when i came back and then it was a 2004 tournament when we had uh, Raddy Avramovich come in as yeah. the national team, and then and then everything sort of started to change. Then, yeah, what happened there? Because I, I think that was really the start of the the dynasty, really, of Singapore national football team was was that that campaign, wasn't it, two thousand and four? And and seemingly there was a lot of you came through a, a similar sort of time. Um, yeah, there was a group. What, of what, what was it about Raddy that, that that really changed for for the Singapore national team? Well, we did have a group of youngsters who came through, and he put them straight in. There was Bahaki, Kaizen, Shari Lishak, Kyra Lamry, uh, um, Ridwan Muhammad, a few more as well, who came through as a batch together. And then yeah. at the same time, that first Suzuki Cup, I'd been naturalized. And then we had Itami Dixon 
from Africa, mm. yeah. Agu Kashmir from Nigeria. And those two really made a big difference going forward. And then we had Alam Shah, who was sort of coming into his prime. And so yeah. suddenly we had, we had a team who sort of evolved, but it was Reddy who sort of got us together. And our mentality, he changed our mentality. He was, we were much more a unit, discipline, a team. And uh, I don't think we went into that Suzuki Cup with so, with so much thought about winning it. Uh, certainly, we didn't have the confidence at that point to win it. But uh, as, as the tournament went on, and, you know, often people say the teams who win the tournaments are, are those who grow during the tournament. Mm. And we did. We grew, we grew in that tournament. And, and having won that one, I think that sort of propelled us to, to have that belief to go on and win, win more in the future. Uh, and then, obviously, we had Farudin come in, uh, the next Suzuki Cup, and a few more, Shijai, who played in midfield from China. And they, they, those players did help, for sure. Uh, but it was that batch of youth players uh, in Singapore at that time who really propelled us as well. Yeah, well, there's two things that I really want to unpack with that. And one is the naturalisation thing, which we'll come on to later. But the other one is that that batch of guys that came through came, came through the system. Um, we're in the Philippines. We're just starting our ASCAL's development team. So we're trying to... I guess similar to Lions 12, have a system in place where some of the young guys are coming through from the youth level or coming in from abroad who aren't quite maybe ready to go into the full national team just yet. But they're looking to maybe bridge that gap between senior national team and then maybe like, you know, club football that they've experienced in their homeland. In maybe to have a sort of the foresight of having that group then develop together and come through the system because you know, the, the, the Philippines is probably, again, at the back end of, of a cycle as well. You know, Phil Young husband just retired recently. The likes of Shrocky, you know, again, well into their 30s. So we're trying to develop that group, next group to come through the system. Was that something that was, did, were you aware of there were, there was such a really strong group coming through the pipeline? Like, did you know two or three years earlier that, oh, well, you know, Baki's coming through, he looks a real prospect. Right. And in two or three years time, he's going to come through. Or was it just, just, you know, they all came good at the right time. What, what, what was it? At that time, I'd just come back from England. So I was really out of sort of touch with the, the players, especially the youth players. I knew the senior players who I'd played with before I'd left. But right. I didn't know Singapore football that well at that time. Uh, I'd, been in, I'd been at university. I came back. I'd spent a year or two playing here. And so even that time when I came back in 2002 to play with the national team, I still think that probably it was wasn't the wisest choice that I was playing in the first eleven because I hadn't been training with them, I hadn't prepared with them. They'd had a training tour in the Middle East, and I hadn't to go. I'd come back to Singapore, I joined the team, and within a couple of days, I was playing my first game for Singapore, which was an honor. <laughs> and it was fantastic for me, but probably I wasn't settled into the team at that time, so I didn't really know what was going on with Singapore football. I flew back off to England. And it was only after that in 2003 when I came back and then Bahaki and, and the likes of Cheryl and the rest yeah. came through. So obviously that, that was at a time when I wasn't around. So no, I didn't know anything about them. No. It took them a little bit of time to settle down. I mean, I came back in and I was, I was in the team, but uh, those guys were sort of, we were sort of building them up. And then by the time we came to 2004, majority of them were, were first 11 players. Yeah. But and we talk about it, yeah. So, sorry, Daniel. We talk about it quite a lot, don't we, Jing? The, the youth, 
development cycles that we have in the Philippines and how it's just it's it doesn't seem to be having that production line um they should do with with the population that we have you know with with um the athleticism that, that, that the filipinos naturally have and we always discuss whether it's a you know it's a nature versus nurture thing is it the environment is it the coaching is it is it is it a multitude of other things is it the politics right we, we, we sort of talk about that a lot on the show um but yeah I, I, did a lot of those guys come from the the sports institute did they come did they come from there or, or was it or was it the case of the clubs cultivating no, I their think own they talent came from the national youth setup i mean yeah i mean we also have a lot of problems here in terms of the youth development mainly the, the biggest the biggest issue is the national service i mean it's something which everybody has to do but it comes at a it comes at a point in a player's career when that is the key area of development moving from sort of youth into senior football and that how old are you, how old are you when you have to do national service? You have to you're you're eighteen generally eighteen to sort of twenty one. It depends. Right. On so, I think you're doing it at that time, but uh, right. eighteen to twenty one, you go in the national service, and by the time you come out, that's two and a half years of your or two years of your career, key point of your career gone. You're in yeah. less. You're not in as good physically physical shape and. And suddenly you find yourself sort of trying to play catch up with other players. Right. Uh, I think the the one which uh, the example that stuck out recently is the lad. Uh, he's now he's now opted to play for Thailand. Uh, I know the guy you're talking about. Yeah, he's playing for Fulham. He's in England. Yeah, he's a Fulham. Yeah, he's a Fulham. Yeah. Sorry, I've forgotten his name again now. But did he? So he's opted to play for Thailand. Is that well, right? I didn't know that. He did play one game for Singapore, but I think you're allowed to play one game. For another country, change. Yeah, he's he's now opted because he chose not to come back and do the national service. So, I presume it would be very very difficult for him to come back now. Yeah. And, um. Uh, so so yeah, he's opted to play for Thailand simply because he needs that time in Fulham. Yeah. To make it because if he drops out now, I mean, going back, he's he's not going to pick up where he left off. So that's that's a huge problem in Singapore with the development of players, and mm. you do get players come through that. Then, of course, is education, which is a priority for a lot of uh, Singaporeans. And, and then with, the, with less and less money in the league, people see it less as a viable career sort of option. Mm. Because by the time you turn 30 or just after 30, you're looking at maybe finding another job. So once you get out of army, it's 20, you're 23. So how many years do you have? How many years do you have to play? Yeah. Did you have to do arms? Did you have to do national service? I didn't. As a first generation Singaporean, I didn't have to do the arms. Oh, really? But my okay. son, my son now will go into the national service. Yes. Really? Okay. Well, and how old is your son? He's nine now. He's just turned nine. Now. Okay. Oh, well. Okay. So almost there. Well, yeah. It goes Halfway. Back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The it's other thing I want to I want to touch. So sorry, Gene. The other thing I want to touch upon, which we actually dedicated an episode to, to this subject in the Philippines, was about naturalization. Um, we in the Philippines have, I don't want to say a bad rap, but there's there's certainly been some contentious points in, in time with the media, um, with the fans, and also with some of our teammates about people like myself. So we're dubbed Phil foreigners, right? So Filipinos who were born abroad, raised abroad, but came back to, to play for the national team. And, and generally it's been well-received. 
but there have been some sections of the public that have seen it as as a as a negative step um, for us. So I was just wondering, what what was the the general consensus with um, people like yourself being naturalised? Was it was it well received with your teammates, with the fans, and with and with the media, or was it something that was it was quite difficult to transition for for you guys? Um, I don't remember it being difficult at the time. Uh, there, there were a few murmurs within the the team that they were not happy. Maybe the foreigners were coming in, and and were we much better than them? Should we be taking their place? I think that's the main issue. If yeah. you're a foreigner in, are they better than what what you have? So there were a few murmurs within the team, uh, but I think generally it's been accepted, um, especially when we 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 were winning. Uh, those Suzuki Cups, but still, there's, right. always, there's always some criticism. Not nobody's ever going to be happy. They, there's still a lot of people who talk about the '98 uh, Suzuki Cup, which Singapore won, and there were no naturalized uh, uh, foreign uh, uh, Singaporeans in there. So, uh, yeah, there's always going to be some issue with foreigners coming in. But I think, in, generally, we, we've uh, had a positive influence on Singapore football. We, we we won three Suzuki Cups during that period. But since then, since 2012, there's sort of been a step back to taking foreigners. And uh, I don't think they've taken any since, um, since that. So we, we also found that after the 2012 Suzuki Cup, that they, they removed a lot of us from the, the system, from the teams uh, revolving around the, the Lions 12 and the, uh, the national team. So... There was a step back, definitely, and more of a uh, influence on getting those local players to come through and perform at an international stage. I got a question about um, those individuals like yourself that were naturalized for Singapore. Was there any uh, pressure or, or, yeah, a little bit of uh, a push towards you guys assimilating to the culture of Singapore? I mean, for you, I'm sure it wouldn't have been that much of a problem because you'd lived in Singapore for so long. But perhaps for some of your teammates that weren't so familiar with, with Singapore, was there sort of a, a push from outside to get them to assimilate to Singaporean culture? There, there was nothing ever really said. The only point made I, I only ever remember was that, you know, try to sing a national anthem at least when you go on the field. Uh, because uh, that's important. But I, I think all of us did that anyway. We were all, we were all uh, very proud to represent the country. Uh, several of them are still here. I mean, Alexander Juric is, is still here. Although he wasn't a naturalized citizen, he, he uh, applied to, to... He wasn't on a foreign talent scheme, sorry. He applied to be a Singaporean himself. Uh, Mustafik Faroudin is still here. Uh, Itami Dixon is still, still here. Precious. Big centre back, yeah, yeah, my precious, yeah. Uh, so, so I think generally those players who have taken the who have taken the citizenship, they've been uh, willing to stay and make this their home, which is which is uh, an important thing, and and obviously that showed when they performed for Singapore, which which is what the Singaporeans would have wanted to see that they played with their heart. It's quite interesting that you mentioned after 2012. It seems to be a, a step in trying to weed out um, the scheme of having naturalized players be involved in the national team. And I think Singapore is a country that the Philippines looks to a lot in terms of having the Lions, uh, having the young Lions and, and, and finding ways to incorporate young talent into the league. Uh, whereas I look at that and see that 
you know, I, I was fortunate enough to commentate a lot of the games for the Southeast Asian games and Singapore didn't particularly perform well in the last edition of that. In fact, I, I, the performances weren't that great. So my, my question is, do you think that these efforts that they've placed into trying to cultivate this young talent has backfired a little bit or it's not having the desired effect that they were hoping for? Well, it's definitely not had the desired effect because uh, Singapore football has not been doing well for, for a while now, like I'm sure you know. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the FAS, the, the, the Football Association of Singapore's uh, decision to, to remove the foreigners as much, but I, I think maybe it was a government stance that they didn't want foreign talent players coming through anymore. I'm, I'm not sure. But uh, whatever it is, Singapore football has, has not moved forward in the way they probably wanted it to. And, and you know, it's a chicken and egg story that uh, there's, there's, there's no more money in Singapore football. And that's an issue. And fewer, fewer players are coming through because of that probably now. Mm. And there's some interesting rules as well in the Singaporean Premier League regarding young talent, right? You're, 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 you're required to play an under-23 player in the starting 11. Is that right? Okay, the, the rules in the Singapore League are now that you have to start three under 23 players. Wow. Three. So at half time, those three players can be substituted, but they have to play at least a half. If, if they come off before half time, you have to replace them with another under 23 player. But what it means is you can't just have three under 23 players in your team and expect they'll play the whole season. So we've sort of got a split of half-half now. We've got half young boys and who would have normally been in the reserve team, and then 10 or 11 players who are senior players. And uh, I, it's, it's not having the desired effects at the moment because what's happening is when those boys turn 24, they don't have clubs, but they've been playing football in the first team up until they're 24. So it just shows that they're not developing the, the way they should do. Um, and so uh, it's probably not the right way forward. And the other thing, it, it, it also is detrimental to our, our progress in AFC competitions and in the Champions League as well, if we, if we get there. Because uh, we don't have the depth in the squads to compete. We've also only had, up until this year, two foreigners uh, allowed to play in the team. Three, three foreigners. And now they've added a fourth, but the fourth has to be below 21 years of age. So, so when we when we've been playing these AFC competitions, we're 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 fairly handicapped, and and I think that's shown in recent years. We've struggled against teams like Ceres. We've struggled against JDT, but obviously JDT have, have really taken off. But it's become it's become harder and harder for for Singapore as a national team, but but also uh, those teams in the AFC because we're not developing and we're not bringing players through. Uh, with better senior players. A lot of senior players are losing their jobs. It's quite interesting, right, Chris? I mean, uh, we talked a lot about, we talk about a lot about youth football here on this program and trying to figure out schemes and ways to integrate them onto the bigger stage. But if you manufacture it in that particular manner and you don't particularly earn it, you know what I mean? Like you're a young talent that has to push through against senior figures and push and, and find your way into the squad as a young, young talent, then you don't benefit the same way if it's handed to you. So how do you, yeah, how do you to- yeah, totally. Like I, I had no idea that those rules were in place. I didn't realize that there was, 
um, that those measures were taken to try to enhance the, the development of, of young players in Singapore. But seemingly, there's not much of a meritocracy there. And I'm assuming, I mean, you probably can't say this, but it must be quite difficult in training if there's some players that are in this training pool that are perhaps subpar or potentially shouldn't be in and around the first team squad. You know, I'm assuming it must be quite difficult in training to, you know, get through certain aspects of, of, of sessions if it keeps breaking down on individuals. And like you said, it seems strange that you must have a bunch of players at 24 on the scrap heap after playing professional football for, for four or five years. So it seems, well, that's definitely a model that we would not be taking in the PFL because I think that would be uh, yeah, hugely detrimental um, to, to the domestic game. But yeah, I mean, is, is it, we, we, we wax lyrical about how difficult it is here in the Philippines to, to get the youth system up and running, but it seems like Singapore has, has similar problems. So um, <laughs> maybe we, we shouldn't problems. be so overly critical. We have more problems. You're doing all right there, mate. <laughs> you we know have- what, going, going on with the naturalisation thing, what I think is really interesting with what you said there, Daniel, is, and which I think is key, is, like you said, you were there from when you were a young age. Jurich is, I mean, he, he speaks so glowing of Singapore, you, you wouldn't know anything less, would you? You wouldn't know he wasn't he, he wasn't Singaporean. Like, he, he's so... Uh, he's so pro-Singaporean Singapore it's unbelievable uh, and then you know I, I saw him in stuff the other day when you guys came over here uh, you know it, I saw him he, he's obviously on the coaching staff now with you guys um, you know that that's really what it's about and I think it uh, the, the sort of conclusion that we came to Jing right was with the whole naturalisation thing because there's a couple of players in our league that aren't half half Filipino they are fully f- fully foreigners a, a Senegalese striker and Bienve the Spanish, the Spanish guy from Ceres, and, and and that's that's what the the murmurs are at the moment about trying to get them naturalised. But you know, Mendy's married to a Filipina, and he's he's got a kid here, born and raised in the Philippines. You know, I, I, he'll probably live in the Philippines after his career is done. Um, Bienve seems really really happy living here. He's lived here for a number of years, and I, I could see him probably living here post post football career. I think that really is the key. I think if you're going to be naturalizing people who are going to come in, you know, play the games, go back to their home country when they're finished and not really provide that benefit to the to the nation as a whole other than just their footballing skills, then I think that's where you're going to encounter some problems because I don't think then people's hearts are in the right place or the, or the motivations are are, oh, you know the, are are missing. I think this is why FIFA brought it in that you have to play in the local league in the country for 5 years before you can register. Yeah. So yeah. That's a that's a big criteria that puts a lot of players off because if you get yep. you're young and you're really good, you might want a chance to go somewhere else, and and if you're not that good, then you probably won't last five years here. So it's a difficult one. Uh, yeah, time there was a lot of uh, influence from other players who had been there five years in Singapore, and and we were all playing. So there was probably that the sort of. Uh, drive to, to follow through with the five years and get to play. We had mm. Lee who came through later on. He played a game or two. They came up with the rule, FIFA, and, and he wasn't allowed to play for two years. But he stuck it out here, and, and then he, he eventually did play. Uh, but it is a huge criteria that that has changed the way the countries naturalise players now. Yeah. And I'm guessing that's probably why, as you alluded to, that might be why some of the issues that you're experiencing now with a national team are, are, re- re- are prevalent because those players aren't willing to stick it out in the league if the domestic league's not so good, right? So those players aren't willing to stick around 
and then they're not willing to stick around for that period. And then obviously they're not going to break into the national team, which which leaves you with that gap, with that void of of quality, which is probably why you've seen the the, the sub subpar performances in in recent years. Yeah, we all, we also have a problem here that we only have six uh, professional sort of teams within the league. We have a young Lions team who 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 are in the in the league. We have a a team from Japan, and we have a team from Brunei. Uh, yeah. This pretty much their their national team with three foreigners in there, three or four foreigners. So so I mean we only have six uh, six uh, local into local teams in the league and. Within those six teams, you have three starting under twenty-three players. So, how many players does that leave right. for the national coach to to choose from? Uh, yeah, he's he's very limited in terms of, terms of his choice. So, every singer player pretty much gets a chance to to go training with the national team now, which should never be the case. No. Like like you said before, you said those those under twenty-three players they have it too easy. They don't know what it is to fight for their place. Uh, in the past, or normally, it should be that those those players are fighting with uh, senior players to get their positions to take over from them. Uh, but they don't have that competition now. So the only way for our league, I think, is to have more teams in the league. Six is just too few. Have more teams in the league, and then naturally you have more senior players staying. And those players who are good enough, those young players, they'll get in uh, as they should, and not yeah, uh, not because it's a criteria that they play. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting. Really interesting, Jing. Yeah, and, and you know, when you when you mentioned the SPL, you know, it, it's like a league that, for many many years, the Philippines looked towards as a as a shining light, as a beacon, as something that we would finally, you know, hopefully down the road, we'll be able to uh, invite teams to come and, and play in our Singapore Cup, and and you know what I mean. It it was sort of like a, a pipe dream for us because we were so new. To having a domestic league, and I remember you talking a little bit about some of the wars that you guys had uh, in the in in the S League with members of the national team as well um, that you guys had. Like you were talking about that um, the competition was so fierce in the S League that it helped make you guys a stronger national team down the road. What what has changed from the S League of those days to now, and what has been the reason for that transition? Yeah, you're right. I. I don't know who's told you that, but definitely the competition in years gone by, sort of 2007, 8, uh, it was really, really competitive. And, and we found it hard sometimes to go into the national team and sort of see each other's faces. And, and <laughs> it's tough. I mean, I think that's the same in any top, top league around the world, that when you go and train because of the competition within the league, uh, there's difficulties in the national team. Um, we had to put those aside. When we played in the national team, and and we we did that, but now because there are so few teams, and because it's sort of a mix of the youngsters, you don't have that same competitive feel, really. Uh, even in training, it's, it's sometimes not quite the same sort of team spirit, simply because you have half the boys who are just on a different wavelength. I mean, I mean, I'm on a different wavelength anyway. I mean, <laughs> that puts me aside, but. <laughs> And the other old sort of players who are sort of 32 to 35, they're, they're, I mean, they're 15 years older than the lads who should be playing that have to come in. And you don't find many players who are mature enough. I mean, you get the odd one who are mature enough to come in and, and have conversations and talk to the senior players and, and really feel that they're there to play. You, you sort of get the, the sense that they're just happy to be there. But 
when you're playing professional football, that can't be the case. There's got to be more to it than that. You can't just be happy to be on the team. You need to be pushing for that place and showing that you deserve to be on that team. And at the moment, they don't have to do that. So that translates into the national team in the end. And unfortunately, our national team has sort of got it into their heads, I think, that it's okay to lose. And until you sort of change that mentality, until you go into tournaments thinking, okay, we need to win. And this is what happened to us in 2004, and we actually won. And then you start to believe. And until you do that, it's sort of a downward spiral. And uh, it's too often the case now we go into tournaments uh, and the public, the players, the coaches, the fans, I think everybody just thinks, well, we're going to lose. So why watch it anyway? And we have, we, it's very, very difficult to change that mentality. I don't know if it's the same in the Philippines. Yes, it's so interesting. Like, I have to talk, talk about it from my perspective because I, I made my debut in 2004, Suzuki Cup, and, and obviously we were, we were known as the Whipping Boys and kind of maybe on a slightly different level of trajectory because obviously we, we were going in, and you, you won 2004, and we were going in just not to get beat 12 nil, you know, that was basically the, the MO going I, into that I competition. They, they, were, they were fun. <laughs> you know, so, you know, we, 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 we were there almost, can we just try to not get whacked today? You know, that would be, that would be pretty much it. But then as we sort of steadily went through, you know, so 2000 and, um, you know, obviously we, we, we qualified in, um, what was AFF Championships, wasn't it? In, in wow, Gene, you have to, you have to help me with, with my memory here, but we sort of steadily made it in, in, um, progress and then obviously 2010 came in uh, and then after that competition that's when we were like right no I, I we're not here just to make up the numbers we're not here to not get beat you know, we feel as though we, we, we're really challenging at the top end of the Suzuki Cup yeah. um, pyramid and and we are comparable to you know to Thailand to yourselves to, to Vietnam we, that's the that's the sort of benchmark that we set ourselves we are in that mix uh, and, and we should be competing for Suzuki Cup titles, and that 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 was an evolving thing. But I remember playing against you guys, and definitely you guys had that mystique about you. You know, obviously different campaigns, you had different elements t- to it. Like 2010, you seem to have the components, but for whatever reason, it, it didn't it didn't work out. Um, but then two years later, with almost an identical team, you then go and win the tournament. So. Uh, you know, I definitely felt that mentally you were really, really strong. You know, you had obviously probably a more experienced team than, than other, other you know, like at Thailand, they always t- typically put quite young teams out. So that brings its own difficulties. They were very dynamic. They were very, you know, a lot of pace, a lot of energy, real high tempo. Whereas you guys, you, you always seem to be very tactically savvy, very switched on, uh, very hard to beat, mentally strong, especially us because we were more physical compared to some of the other Southeast Asian nations. So we, we, most teams we could probably bully a little bit, but we didn't have that element with you guys. There was always that element of physically that, that it was it was quite evenly matched. But I always felt that Singaporean team from probably, like you said, 2004, up until 2014 when I retired always were mentally really strong very very difficult to beat and we were very just had yeah. Yeah. we were very fit we had yeah. a trainer uh, which uh, Raddy Aramovich brought in but like you say mentally strong and physically very very fit I think these were their biggest uh, strengths really and we were really well drilled as a team uh, it's funny you say but I think 2010 was our best team and uh, Raddy often said that, that that was probably the most disappointing tournament. Uh, 
that I think we probably really let ourselves down in that tournament. It was our first game. We, I think we should have won quite easily, to be honest. Uh, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We what well, against us? Yeah. You're joking. I think oh, should, mate, you should have you should have smashed us. You should have smashed us. Yeah. I think in the first half there were several chances where we 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 should have scored, and right at the end, I mean, I'll never forget this. Right at the end, I got injured. I don't know if you know, but I. I oh, I have wha- I have I've spoken about this many a time. I'm I'm you and I are probably the only two people who, who can recall this. So I I am gonna I, I'm gonna I, let you tell the story. I don't know if it was you. I got injured. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. But I got injured, and and I should have stayed down, and I should have gone off. Uh, I should I could have just wasted that time. But I've, I'm not that kind of player. So I've got up, and I and I couldn't walk. And so when the balls come over at the end, when you scored, I couldn't, I would have cleared it. I couldn't move. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've seen that. It will hold me forever. Yeah. We would have won that game. I'm, I'm convinced we'd 100% we'd have won that game because I couldn't do anything. And then I didn't play after that. I was, I was on crutches. I couldn't walk. Uh, I shouldn't have stayed on and it would have been, it would have been over. But I mean, you, you still went on after that game. I, I guess it gave you the confidence. You went on and had a, an incredible result against Vietnam. Honestly, in my career, I've never beaten Vietnam. Oh, really? Never oh, that's, beaten- that's not, so that's two things I've got on you in that competition then. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, the, it's, it's funny. I remember, I, rem- I, I talked to everyone about that, that, that exact moment. So you're not the only one. Um, Anton Del Rosario was the one who crippled you. And... Um, when he came on the podcast, I said, I said, oh, I don't know if he kicked me. I think I sort of did it to myself. I can't remember. No, I think he, I think he, 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 or he was in, he, it was whatever happened. He was in, he was in and around what, where you, when you got injured, he was in and around um, when you got crocked. And we mentioned it in the podcast and I said, I said, you guys don't remember, but Daniel Bennett clears that 99 times out of 100. He said, but he didn't. I said, he was injured. I said, do you remember he was injured? And he was like, yeah. And if you actually watch the video back, like you're so stiff. Yeah. And then normally you would just step across and clear that. Yeah. I, I somehow managed to get in between the, you and... Oh, you scored. I can't remember centre back. Oh, you scored, did you? Yeah, and I scored it. And um, you have to recall that, yeah. So I scored. And then, um, yeah, I, I remember even as I was... Why has he not tackled me there? It was, it was definitely that that sort of element to it. And then when I go back and to think about the game, I always remember that you got injured and and that um, yeah, you you normally clear that one. But it's interesting that you think that that was the best team because I remember going into that competition. I mean, it was it was it was the group of death. I mean, we had absolutely no right getting out of that group because. Like you said, you guys were extremely strong, extremely strong. I mean, you had Juric at the height of his powers. You had a good mix of uh, really young, talented players emerging as well. Um, I just thought, wow, if we can just if, if we can get a low score in defeat here, that would be that would be something. That would be that would be something for us to to, to build build on from. The only negative thing I'd say about that team is we had a group of players who, at that time, had gone over to Indonesia. And uh, there was sort of four, five, six players who were playing in Indonesia. And they come back and there was a slightly different feel about things. And I guess they hadn't been involved in the league and this and that. But I just felt like they may disagree. They may disagree with this. But I felt that the dynamics changed a little bit with them playing in a different country and 
uh, having seen different things, perhaps some of them thought that they were better players having played abroad. And maybe the team spirit was not as it was in previous years. It's I- so ironic you bring that up. It's so ironic you bring that up. Sorry to cut you off. But that was the only thing that I could pin on it with you guys. I remember going to the hotel. It was uh, probably after that game, after we drew with you. So obviously we were, we were all hyped up. Right? We were amped. We were like, yes, we've, you know, we've got a point. We're going to get beat by Vietnam, but if we can beat Myanmar, we could qualify here. Yeah. And I remember like, so we would go down to breakfast. We would always eat together. Always. We would always eat together, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And we had a really good team spirit, really good camaraderie around us. And I always re- remember Rob Gear. He turned around to me and says, look, they're all over the place. They come down to breakfast at different times. Singaporean lads, some of them were, uh, you know, in the, in the coffee drinking, some of them were in their room, some of them were like, it was just, you lot seemed all over the place. It didn't really seem to be that cohesive spirit amongst you guys compared to us. And I remember Rob sort of really trying to drill down on that and being like, listen guys, they might have better players, playing at a better level, this and that, but we've got really good team spirit. We've got really good camaraderie and that's going to take us far in this competition. And that was even, you know, probably two or three days into the tournament. And I could really sense that. I could really feel that. So it's so ironic you bring that up because at the time we really felt that. Um, I did, I and in did, the end... I didn't like staying in the hotel with the other teams. I, I found that just strange. I mean, having to see each other every, day in, day out, it was... You know, for me, I like to get away from the football when you're not on the field. And we were having to walk past each other and sort of... It's horrible. Yeah, have just silly conversations. And, and we didn't want to talk to each other anyway because we knew we were in the middle of a, a battle sort of on the field. And it was, just, it was just strange that we were all put in the same hotel. Really weird. The only time, the only time it, was, it was nice, I think after we beat Vietnam, there was a bunch of you guys, I don't know if you were there, there was a bunch of guys in the in the lobby, and when we walked, when we came through the hotel, a bunch of the Singapore players gave us a round of applause. I'll never forget that. Like a bunch of people clapped, clapped us as we came in. That was really nice. Well, um, that result was probably one of the best results you've ever had as a national team against Vietnam. Yeah. Vietnam. Uh, I think we sat in the the stands and watched at least the first half of that. And yeah. I mean, at that point, we probably realised that we're in trouble here. Well, yeah, because I was on crutches, but <laughs> but we knew as a team it was going to be tough from there on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously we we qualified that competition. You guys went out. You guys went out in the in the in the group stage. And then two years later, you came back with I mean pretty much the same team. There wasn't really much. There wasn't really that many additions, was it? I, I can't really think of that many. And, and you go on and, and win the tournament. Like, what was the difference between that group and the, the group from two years previous? I think I think we had our backs against the wall in that final one. That we'd really been put down. We'd had a lot of bad results. Raddy was on the verge of leaving. Yeah, remember was, that. Yeah, it was sort of a do or die feeling at the end. I mean, uh, it was just nothing to lose really, and we we just gritted our teeth and and uh, I think we got off to a really good start, which which helped. We beat Malaysia three 0 in Malaysia. Um, then we we got through the group as 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 winners I think and then we we I think we played you just before the tournament in a pre in a in a in a pregame friendly and uh, and you've beaten us one 0 but I think we knew I mean it was a difficult field to play on in the Philippines yeah do you remember the game I remember the game it is in where is it is it in Cebu Cebu yeah we went to Cebu we were saying the yeah. same as you there 
again, yeah. The Ascals, yeah. We, we were, yeah. Because, I mean, you were, you were like superstars there. It was, yeah. I mean, we couldn't believe it. We were, nobody, nobody cares about us. Like, they, they cared about you there. So yeah. We, yeah, we lost that game 1-0, but I think we came out of that thinking, well, we know it's going to be hard against you, but we can beat you. Yeah, I, I would say, I remember that game. I, I was, I'd been playing in America at the time and I came back and Weiss had chucked me in and I probably wasn't ready. I hadn't really been playing that much. And then he took me off, subbed me at half time. You guys were dominating. I had a bad game. Uh, Harris dominated me. It was, he, it was the first time I really played against him where I felt he's a player. He's really, really good. And yeah, um, yeah it, we ended up, I think he had Phil and James on the bench for some reason. I think they had some sort of issue. They brought him on at half time, and we scored straight after half time. And then I forget who missed the penalty, but you yeah, missed the penalty. Probably Amri missed the penalty, maybe. Probably was Amri, right? Missed the penalty. He was probably normally pretty steady from the spot. Um, and again, we, we we sort of came out of that with a one 0 win. But I was like, they're strong. They're decent. I think they're going to be all right. You know, we we got away with we got away with that one. We had we had, we had a few of those types of games. But I, I didn't see you being the champions. I, I didn't think you'd end up going on to, to, um, to win that competition. I think the hardest thing in the Suzuki Cup is getting out of the group. I mean, once we've got out of the group, I, on every occasion I've got out of the group, I've, I think I've won it all but one time. So as, as, soon as, you, that right? yeah. as soon as you get out of the group, I mean, then it's just those, those individual games, home and away. I mean, yeah. Games, but sometimes getting out of that group, if you draw a game, you can be out. I mean, it's, yeah. it depends on other results as well. So you're not just depending on yourselves, really. Uh, so, yeah, once we came up against you again, I think that game prior probably helped. That it, really, it really stuck in that we could lose to you. But if we grit our teeth and we knew you were, you were a physical team, but you probably missed that creativity in the final third. And... Uh, I mean, it was it was such a close game because in in Philippines we did have a chance, I think, to win it. Uh, we in the Philippines, we I remember we had one chance, I think, but there were hardly any chances in the whole game. Nah, hardly- it was probably one of the worst games as a spectacle that I've ever been involved in. It was it was a boring nil nil game. It was nothing really happened. You didn't play, did you not? I was on the bench. Okay. Didn't come on. And then, and yeah. Then, uh, I mean, obviously, we had an advantage going back to Singapore, and we felt that we had that, and we we felt yeah. that we should probably beat you there. But even then, it was hard. I mean, Amri got the goal uh, off a quick, free, quick taking the free kick. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which probably wasn't happening. You, you, no, you you were spot on. What one of the things that you were talking about at, at the beginning of the conversation was that Neil was not available for Suzuki Cup at that point. He wasn't being released by his club for, for obviously these tournaments are like six weeks, eight weeks long. So he wasn't being released by the club. So we went with uh, Ed Sarkapanyo, a local goalkeeper, very adept goalkeeper, but you know, it's a different, it's a difference between him and Neil Etheridge. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I remember him, he was lining up the wall or something like that. And then Amri just bent one in I think and he's, he's caught him off guard. I don't think he's bent it really. I think he's just taken it so quickly that there was no time to react really is that what it, yeah yeah um, so that was yeah one nil and I, I thought you were good value for it I don't know you were spot on again we lack creativity we didn't really I don't think we really opened you up I remember Bayaki being all over Phil I like I mean I don't think Phil touched the ball he literally Bayaki is just anything near him bang straight through the back of him uh, he was I, I would say that was probably when he was at his peak he was so dominant 
I he was so dominant at that time. But Phil or Bahaki? Bahaki. But Phil was also pretty dominant at that time as well. That time, yeah, but that game not not so I, much. I not so much. He didn't drifted out to the wing, probably to get away. And and I just I remember the last few minutes, I just thought he's the only one maybe who's gonna create something. And I just went and stood on him. I just thought I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stay in line with the defense. I'm just gonna stand because it looked like you were trying to get him the ball all the time. Yeah. And I went and stood on him uh, to make sure he didn't it didn't create anything. But yeah, it was it was such a tight game, and I mean, like you say, Thailand played a very very different kind of game. It was much more open, um, but they were easier to bully. Like you say, as in you, as in you, we we did bully teams more, and I think that's what they could never get to grips uh, about with us. Yeah, I think that that was of all the campaigns that we had. You know, 2010 was like a Cinderella story for us, but 2012, I think we just. That was one that I felt whoever beat whoever won out of us too. I felt was going to win that competition, and I felt we we missed an opportunity. And I know since we've been to semi finals, and if I'm being honest, I, I, even in recent years, I don't think there's been that belief um, that we could potentially go through. I mean, even in the Vietnam recently, I think there was belief that we could go through, but they they were a very strong team. Uh, also in different set of circumstances because we were I was on the coaching staff that, but that was the one where I think we were we were closest to winning and had we beaten you on that occasion then I think we would have gone on to win it but have you know, fair play to you guys have you beaten Thailand no no right I can't think of a time no no I don't think so best result was a draw I believe that Thai team was a good team we met in the final that year that was a good team I remember uh, although I watched the game just recently, being in quarantine, I never watched games, but I, I ended up oh. switching on face, Facebook and that game was on. Oh, yeah. It didn't look like a, a good game to watch, but that Thai team, was it was, a, it was a very good team. I think we were, we were lucky in a lot of ways to win that one. Um, we, we beat them 3-1 in Singapore, but we didn't get out the half in Thailand. We didn't get out the half, but they mm. only managed to score one goal. Uh, we were we were so defensively sound that it was very yeah. break us down. Yeah, but uh, no, I mean, I look back and winning the Suzuki Cup twice in Thailand against Thailand that that was probably some of my biggest achievements, really, because it is such a difficult task beating them. Beating Vietnam, I've never done it because they're sort of nippy as well, and yeah, it, it creates different problems against yourselves. It was it was always a physical battle and. And I always preferred that, to be honest. Against the Thais and the Vietnamese, I mean, you don't know where they are. You turn your head and they're gone. Yeah. Uh, balls flying past you and, you know, they're, they're so nippy and quick. So it's a, it's a completely different game. You mentioned something earlier that was kind of interesting. You said, um, you know, you you were quite surprised about the, the, the stardom level that the players had in the Philippines, obviously after the Cinderella story of 2010, and that you guys don't have the same thing going on for you guys in Singapore. I mean, you guys have won so many Suzuki Cups. Um, it, it, it's kind of interesting to me that it, it isn't the case. Why do you think that that didn't translate into a, a huge fan base for you guys and the national team? Uh, I, I, I can't tell you exactly why. I mean, it was the end of uh, Raddy. Raddy left after that tournament. I think that was on the cards even before the tournament. It had already been uh, decided. The 
the decision after that tournament was to put a majority of the players to play in the Malaysian League in the Lions 12. So we had the, the team who went to Malaysia and played, but all the foreign talent players were left out of that team, which was clearly a decision made uh, from the top, um, which wasn't well received from, from a lot of us, really. Uh, but those players went and played in the Malaysian League, and, and that did take off. I mean, uh, what, it, what it meant was that the Singapore League totally uh, had no appeal to anybody. I mean, everybody was watching the Lions 12 in Malaysia. It brought back those years of Singapore playing in the Malaysia Cup. And from 94, 95, that's what people like to talk about here. That's mm -hmm. the glory, glory times that they had. <laughs> Andy Ahmad and, and Malik Awab, which was a great team. And they, they did fantastic things in the, in the Malaysian Cup. But to bring it back at that time, I don't know if it was the right thing. It took all the attention away from the league. And I think we've never, we've never really got back to to where we were since. I mean, um, after a couple of years in the, in the Malaysia Super League, Singapore, the, the Lions 12, they did win the tournament. I think they won, the, they won a cup in there as well. I don't think it was a Malaysian cup. It was a, sort of a league cup that they won. And then the year after, I think they got kicked out. Um, I didn't follow it that closely because obviously I was still playing in the local league. And uh, those players all filtered back into clubs with sort of star sort of status. And they were no better than those players who were playing in the league. And what happened was a lot of players within the league lost their jobs at that time, simply because players were coming back from another team. And uh, a lot of people were very disappointed with the way things were, were carried out, the, the way the FAS um, implemented these decisions. Uh, a lot of people lost jobs and, and those players didn't really propel the league uh, forward. In fact, uh, coming out of the league was was very detrimental to, to our local league. So uh, I think this, looking back, is probably the trigger point that everything sort of started going downhill. And mm. um, it's, it's a very diff difficult tide to turn once it, once it starts going. But I'll be honest, I mean, from us looking over to Philippines, we we see that things are going very well there, that there is uh, development that the the national team is doing well in, uh, in, in Asia. I mean, you qualified for the Asian Cup. I mean, we never yeah. did that. So we're, we're looking abroad and saying, well, everybody's moved forward. Philippines has gone forward. Uh, Thailand, obviously. Vietnam. Vietnam and Thailand probably the strongest at the moment, which they always, mm -hmm. they always uh, mostly have been. But uh, we, we, we have teams like Myanmar, who are, they're ahead of us now. And then we have other teams like Laos and even Cambodia, who we struggle to beat at the youth level and uh, sometimes with the national team as well. So uh, looking over to Philippines, I mean, you telling me that there's problems there, but the grass is always greener on the other side. <laughs> It's yeah, maybe, maybe we should maybe we, sh we shouldn't complain so much, Jing, should we? <laughs> maybe we should be thankful for some of the things we have got. Yeah, good things. Yeah, you have a lot of good things going, and uh, I'm sure there can be a lot of improvements. But um, there are a lot of things that can be improved. Whereas in Singapore, we're finding it difficult to make improvements because of uh, systems. And I mean, we don't have a population like yours either. Um, we have we have a. 70% the Chinese population and how many Chinese do we have in the national team? 
it'd be great if we had a larger proportion of those uh, those people playing football at a, an older age. We find that generally those the, the Chinese, unfortunately, they drop out uh, to study, uh, to be involved in, in other things, uh, to get a job. And it'd be great if we had more Chinese uh, playing in the, the Singapore national team. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, 75% huh, of the population is Chinese. About 70%. Uh, that's what I heard. So, I mean, <laughs> so, uh, listening to that and I'm wrong, then I'm sorry. But it's, it is something like that. Yeah, a large proportion of the population. So we don't have nearly as many people to choose from. Mm. As you, I know basketball is big in the Philippines, but I'm sure there's huge potential there to, to get people involved in football. It seems as if the SPL is going through, at least in terms of media and accessibility, is going through a sort of a, a, a reboot. And um, now, actually, I'm getting an opportunity to to watch it from a distance, uh, whereas uh, before it would be very hard to to follow along. I was actually watching some of the first few games, but unfortunately, this entire pandemic thing happened, and uh, I've lost out on the opportunity to to keep abreast with how things are going with Tampanese Rovers. I mean, it's been a good good start to the season for you guys. Um, and uh, obviously, Kaya being uh, grouped with you guys in the AFC Cup, it was something that I was really looking forward to, to watching. Has there been a, a change? Do you feel the, a shifting a little bit in the SPL, or is it more of the same? Uh, we, we, we grew with Kaya in the AFC. Yeah, yeah. You missed the first game, though. You guys traveled over, but you weren't there. Ah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I, That's I, was, right. I got injured in the first game against Bali. That's right. So I didn't travel. So I, I played the last three games. But uh, I, th- I think that there's a possibility of that league being sort of... Uh, susp- it, I mean, I think they'll take it as it is, and those, those who have qualified will qualify now. That's what I've heard. Really? Um, oh, interesting. Well, that, that's what I've heard. I, 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 I can't be sure again. Uh, right. But, um, there's a possibility that the, the group might end now because there's no time to follow through with those games before the the semi-final and final of the of this region. So, yeah. and what's the standings at the moment, Jing? Uh, Tampanese on top. We're on top. Um, Kaya right. second. Same on, same on points with Kaya, right? No, we got seven points. They've got seven. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I believe so. You guys beat. Um, uh, you guys beat the PS Makassar. PSM Makassar. Yeah. And Bali. Um, no, Bali. no, 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 not Bali. We we were playing Bali in the Champions League qualifier. Oh, ah, yeah, okay, yeah. sorry, 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 sorry. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, they played PSM and um, Lao. Lao. It's not Lao. Lao the sorry, Myanmar, not... the Myanmar team, Shan United. Shan. Yeah, yeah, we beat. There we go. There it is. Yeah. So they're on seven. How was Kyron now again? So they beat uh, five. Five. Four. Yeah, five. Two draws, one with Tampanese and one with um, PSM away, yeah. and then yeah. one win against Shan away. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's a shame for us because we had two home games still to, I, to play. Draw, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this the time's running out, really, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's for sure. But do you yeah. feel as if there's things changing in the domestic league for you guys? Is it on the up for you? Well, I don't think the league is on the up. But in the last couple of years, we've had Gavin Lee come in as a coach. Yeah. And I say that uh, it's probably the best football I've played in my career. Not, not me personally, the team. I mean, the team, 
obviously the style of football in world football has changed. I mean, people are more willing to play out from the back now. It's a more of a passing game. Uh, but I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying this this part of my career more than anything, simply because of the way we're playing. I'm playing for the top team in Singapore. We beat we beat uh, Lions City Sailors 4-0 the other day. They're the team who have all the money at the moment. Uh, we beat them 4-0 just before we broke up. And uh, we, we completely played them off the park. And that's what we're doing to teams at the moment. We're, we're playing around them. And it's, 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 it's just, for me as a defender, I don't play long balls anymore. I don't play hit and hope balls. Everything's controlled. Everything's to a plan. We, we're willing to play out from the back, even when teams come and try and press us. If they press us, we have we have other options, and it's sort of put a different spin on the way I see football. So, with me sort of trying to get into coaching at the moment, there's no better place for me to be than sort of under Gavin Lee at the moment, seeing how he does it, and uh, also just to play in that team, just to be part of the team, and and it's so easy when, when it's done right. It's, it just seems so easy. Uh, Football is a simple game, and we seem to complicate it so much at times. I've watched that game uh, from 2012 when we played Thailand in the, in the final in Singapore. I watched the whole game, and there was no there was no sense of uh, getting it on the deck and passing it every time we had a chance. It was just, I mean, I was disappointed in myself because I know, I <laughs> and I was just hoofing it up the field, and I thought, really, is this what we used to do? Because when you play a game, you, you often look back on the game and you think, yeah, we played well, we did really good. I mean, fantastic game. And I've, I've watched it eight years later and thought, hell, that was rubbish. That was rubbish. But then there were a lot of really top players on the field. And had we, had we been told to play in a different way, I'm sure we would have been able to do that. And, and that's what I'm enjoying now, playing in a different style of football. So if you ask me if the league is sort of uh, developing now, I would say no. Uh, but Tampini's as a as a club, I think the way we're going forward with with a new this new sort of philosophy is uh, is really interesting, and and I'm loving this this period of my career now. Yeah, what's Gavin's background? Where's where, what's Gavin? Gavin yeah. played. Uh, I don't know if he's going to listen to this, but okay, I'll try and tell you. He'll kill. Go me. on, go on. Yeah, I'm interested. I'm interested. Ga- yeah, played, but he didn't like like a lot of like Mourinho or whatever, he, he didn't play at a top level. I don't think he mm-hmm. ever played in the league, Gavin. And so he's had a lot of time to sort of hone his uh, coaching skills. I think his father is still a coach. He, he's, he's always been a coach and he's probably been influenced by him. Uh, but um, he's, he's worked with youth teams. He, 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 runs, uh, he helps run the uh, JSL, football, JSL Football Academy. Here. Yeah, yeah. Which is very. That's where I know him from. That's where I know his name from. Yeah. Which is very successful. He joined us in 2014 when I was playing for Warriors, and he joined with Alex Weaver. And Alex Weaver was a very forward sort of thinking coach. And um, uh, Gavin came in and joined him, and you could see then that he was uh, really switched on. He was doing all the analysis for us, and he spent a year there with us, and we won the league. And then. Uh, when when Alex left, he he went back to do his work with JSSL, but he spent a lot of time on coaching courses and and uh, things abroad. He he he's made that uh, he he he's just drilled into himself. I think that he needs to get out of Singapore to learn, and mm-hmm. uh, he's always willing to learn. He's always willing to to take new new ideas on board, 
And in 2018, I think he came back as an assistant to Jürgen Rab, who was a coach of, mm-hmm. of Tampini's at the time. And then uh, we, we didn't have a, a good run of results going towards the end of the season. And then the following season, they made him the, the head coach. And obviously, uh, I think he was 28 or 27 or 28 at the time. He was, he was a little bit of a gamble. You, you'd have to say because of the, the senior players we had in the team and his age and his experience. But, I mean, it couldn't be a better coach for Tampini's Rovers. He's absolutely fantastic. And the only worry now is that sometime he'll leave. Uh, hopefully I'll have retired before he leaves. <laughs> so I don't have to play under another coach because he's, he's, he's really done well with the team. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So you said there that you're looking at doing, are you doing your coaching badges at the moment? Is that something you're looking to do down the road? I'm actually coaching now with Active SG. Active SG is a, uh, a government-run project with Sports uh, SG in Singapore. And we have, grass, we have 15 grassroots centres around Singapore. Uh, we have over 2,000 kids who go to those grassroots centres. And we've, we've just started last year our elite program. So Active SG is sort of in charge now in Singapore of those youth youth teams running up to the age of sort of 15, 16. And then the, the FAS has uh, those youth teams uh, running up to the national team. Right. So I, I take oh. another 10 team at the moment. Um, How's that going? I enjoy it. I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love, I love working with the little ones. So at the moment, yeah. I have an ambition to work with a, a senior team. I think playing with a senior team is enough now. Maybe in the future I'll, I'll have that. But at the moment, to be honest, the, the league is not uh, something which is uh, sort of tempting to get involved with uh, other than playing for me at the moment. So I'm enjoying my time with Active SG and the young ones, yeah. What, what sort of differences have you noticed from coaching the little ones versus being involved with the with more senior or adult players? What, what have you noticed that... You know, positives, negatives from coaching kids at that age. Oh, their enthusiasm. I mean, I mean, being in being in a professional game so long, it's all about money at the end. All the, all the majority of the players are thinking about contracts, and these guys is under ten. They just they just want to have fun. They just they just want the ball. So you give them the ball, and you try to guide them in certain ways. But uh, I think the the biggest thing is just letting letting them have the ball at that age, and and uh, trying to influence them in, in positive ways. And and just being around them, sort of a couple times a week, is is great to get away from the the senior football. And uh, we're we're doing stuff online actually at the moment. We we do uh, two or three sessions a week with our uh, elite team, and we have uh, with with my centre. I sort of have four or five sessions with the grassroots. So um, even from the bedroom here, I can get on with it, which is nice. Because this is sort of the only reprieve from being quarantined that I can get at the moment. Uh, yeah, we're 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 the same. We're doing exactly the same with our academy here. Obviously, I'm just uh, we were talking a little bit, but yeah, our academy director here at Kaya, and we're doing the same thing. And it's it's tough when you're trying to do the kids' schoolwork, you know, from ten in the morning or whatever. But it's nice to get a little bit of a reprieve by talking a little bit of tactical or. Uh, doing a little session, technical session with uh, with some of the kids. I think it's really important. And I think especially for someone like you, to give an opportunity to give back to kids, I think is massive. 
because you know we have a lot of ex-pros who are in our academy coach and just to see how the kids interact with those players knowing that they either play for the first team or they play for the national team it gives them a real buzz and a real lift and I think if you can impart some of your knowledge with those kids it, it, it's hopefully going to be inspiring the next generation of kids you know to want to emulate you know people like yourself or people like you. Yeah, I suppose I'm full of enthusiasm at the moment because I don't see how the boys drop out yet. So I have a group of under 10s who I'm looking at and thinking, wow, these, these guys, they're <laughs> good players here. But the stories I hear from experienced coaches is one by one, little by little, you, they, they sort of disappear through cracks and you lose them. So I'm hoping with this batch, at least a few of them might make it because uh, they're so exciting to work with. And you just think if they really put the work in, there's just no way that they can't make it. I mean, they're yeah. fantastic little players. I mean, uh, but yeah, we have issues here with national service and things and education and well, education is a, something they should do, but they should be able to do it. <laughs> I mean, I went to university and still, still managed to play. So yeah, uh, it's something that I think should go hand in hand. Um, but I'm just hoping that those lads who are so eager to impress at the moment are eager to impress when they're, when they're 18, 19, 20. Do you, do you think down the road, though, you would like to get in at the senior level? Do you think you would like to coach at the men's level? Well, not 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 yet. Um, not yet. I, I would like to see how Singapore football goes as well. So for the minute, I'm happy doing, uh, doing the youth football as well. Uh, things change quickly. I mean, we saw how the Thai football took off sort of 10 years ago. Before that, all the Thai boys were playing in our league. Yeah, uh, two thousand seven, eight. They were playing in our league, and so I'd like to see things happen here as well. Obviously, we have the infrastructure that we could go forward, and things could take off very quickly. Uh, somebody has just taken over one of the clubs here and put a lot of money in. Uh, Forrest Lee, he's he's taken over uh, Home United. They've turned it into Lion City Sailors. It's been rebranded, and so if that could happen with other clubs and maybe more clubs come into the league, then then things could change. And I, I'm hoping by the time these boys I have, these under 10 boys that I have, by the time they come into their prime, then, then they have better options and opportunities than, than we perhaps have. Yeah. Might see each other on the sidelines, Chris, down the road. Yeah. Yeah, well, I hope maybe with the men's team or maybe with one of our youth academies one day. That would be nice. Um, no, I think it's we talk about it a lot from a Filipino perspective and it's nice to hear Daniel's version from, from his perspective in Singapore that, um, you know, it's important that we get out into the communities and try to instill some of these, um, you know, good habits to, to kids while they're still kind of malleable and why we can still have an opportunity to work with them because similar to you, uh, Daniel here in the Philippines, academics is, is a real, um, a bedrock of society. So families are really pushing the kids to make sure that they get good grades. They get, you know, they go, go to a good university and invariably, I mean, like it should be, if, if, if there is a conflict, I understand that studies come first, but you also want to see players who really want to strive to be the best footballer they can be. And, and trying to find that balance is also very difficult here. So in, in a sense, it's quite nice to hear someone else have similar struggles to the ones that we experience here in the Philippines. But it's also nice to see when footballers are, are able to go back into youth football and impart their knowledge because there, there definitely needs to be that, especially in this region, to try to cultivate and develop the next the next generation of footballers. I think that's really important, Jing. Yeah, 100%, you know, and uh, being um, such a big 
factor in how things have transpired over in Singapore in terms of the football over there and being a part of the history and all the, the triumphs that you guys have enjoyed over the last few decades. Um, it'll be interesting to see how you, you'll be playing a role as well in shaping the next generation and how things transpire in the next 10 years for Singapore. Uh, definitely everybody here in the Philippines keeping a close eye on how things are going in the SPL. And obviously, we're very much... Um, involved in in the AFC Cup against the likes of Home United and um, which are now the Lion City Sailors and um, Tampanese Rovers as well you know so it's uh, the the histories and the trajectories of Philippine and Singaporean football are intertwined and it's going to be interesting to see how things transpire over the next few years hopefully if sometime we get out of this pandemic at some point right, we'll get back to uh, <laughs> playing football and getting back to regular programming but yeah it's it's been fantastic to to talk to you daniel and you know to reminisce on some of the experiences that we've sort of seen from the opposite end of the spectrum and to to talk about your journey which is spectacular you know i'm sure a lot of uh, a lot of uh, footballers out there who are aspiring professionals who want to make it big in the game or are hoping to get maybe just half of your career, you know, but to, 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 to see you and continue to thrive in the Singaporean game, I'm sure it's a huge inspiration for a lot of people who are, are, are involved in the professional game right now. Yeah, well, thanks for having me here. I've enjoyed it. Uh, I especially enjoy speaking to Chris. I mean, there was always, there was always uh, you know, I always thought that, that the teams would get along in a different environment. But obviously, at that time, there was a lot of uh, friction between the groups of, of players, and it, it wasn't set up for us to get along. So it's really nice to have the opportunity now to speak to you. Uh, there, was, there, was, there was probably a sense of jealousy as well that you guys had fame over in the Philippines, and we had nothing, and we we'd done so much and had absolutely no <laughs> at all. I mean, it, it was fantastic the the support that you had. So. It's interesting to see that you also feel that you have problems there, that it's not only us, and uh, a lot of things that you can probably improve, but I, I'd say you're on a good way. Uh, you, have a, you have a huge potential opportunity in the Philippines, and, and, and it's nice also to think that uh, the Philippines, the Filipinos and, and, and those involved in football there have always looked uh, fondly over at Singapore and, and respected us because... Um, I think that's where we want to get to again, and and perhaps we have to to get that belief from from the belief uh, that, you, that you perhaps have in our our system and, and 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 the league in the past, and and hopefully we can get there again. No, I th- we really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I, I totally agree. You know, there was never really you know a time and a place for for people like yourselves to to get along with us because it was always in that pressure cooker environment of tournament football. Invariably, we all just want to win. And um, yeah, we, we've never really had the opportunity to sit down and talk to you guys about some of those moments. So it's been really nice to to hear your end of the story. I've, I've had the luxury on a couple of occasions speaking to Boyaki um, about this. So that's been, that was always quite nice to, to reminisce with him. Uh, I, I bumped into him in, in a couple of different settings, which has been nice. I uh, had a little chat with... Um, Kyle Amory, um, when he was quite shocked to see me on the sideline coaching uh, at the last Suzuki Cup, he was like, oh, wow, you're coaching now. Are you not, you're not playing? I said, no, I'm coaching now, mate. So I couldn't believe he was, he was still playing. But, but yeah, I totally agree. It, it, there was definitely, from our end anyway, a real mutual respect. And um, to be honest, a lot of admiration for, you, for your team. I, I think you had a lot of 
um, similar components to what we had, um, but just seemingly at a more mature level than we had. And that invariably propelled you to, to, to reach the heights that unfortunately we never got to. So, you know, it, it, if the jealousy was there from your end with the adulation, it was definitely um, re- you know, replicated from, from our end with, with the, the trophy count and the medal haul that, that you received. So, um, yeah, we might. I, I, I certainly prefer to be in your shoes in that regard. I, I'd much prefer to have a little less fame and a few more medals in my trophy cabinet. But um, yeah, such, such is life. Maybe, maybe I'll get my opportunity on the coaching end uh, down down the stretch. But no, just thanks so much for coming on. You, you were part of a really, really special team that was really revered here in the Philippines. And, and maybe you're not too aware of it because we haven't had these conversations before and the media doesn't really hype it up. But, you know, you, you had a really special group and, um, yeah, all, all of our players from, from my generation certainly really respected your your batch. And, um, you know, we're still, still amazed that you're still playing and, um, you know, flying the flag for, for Singaporean football still. It's, it's an incredible and testament to, to your passion and your enthusiasm. It's, it's really good to see. Cheers, mate. Thanks for that. Uh, can we find you anywhere? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? Where should people go yeah. if they want to follow along to uh, the Daniel Bennett journey? Well, I just use the Facebook, to be honest. I, I've, I've, <laughs> uh, Madhu, the fellow my team, he set me up with Instagram, but I, I don't really... <laughs> uh, they're laughing. They're having a laugh at me, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. All right, look them up, guys. Okay, look me up on Facebook, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Daniel, for the Thank time. You. And we wish you much more success. Hopefully a few more trophies in the cabinet before you're finished, huh? Talk to All you right. soon. Thanks, All soon. right, guys, if you enjoyed this chat, please do subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Look for us. It's Across the Line, and we're available on Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. That was Daniel Bennett, folks, and that's it. We hope you enjoyed your Football Friday.